I'm an actor, writer, director, and I broke the internet with a single cocktail. I'm Stanley Tucci, and I'm bringing the amazing food and culture of Italy to CNN. I'm traveling across Italy to discover how the food is as unique as the people and their past. Oh my God, so good. Come with me as I taste the flavors of the land and sea. Let's go fishing. <laughs> to discover what the food tells us about the people that craft it. Wow. And its distinct regions. The maestro is making a pizza for me. Oh my God. That's one of the best martinis I've ever had in my life. If you don't believe in God, you believe in tortellini. It's like a religion. Oh, wow. <laughs> This dish tells a story. Ciao, ciao. It has survived the darkest of times. That's the best sushi I've ever had. of killer casting no your ears are not mistaken uh it's either sexy beast number one or sexy beast number two depending on your part of the world brian a hill leading off the festivities today uh yes this is where you would normally hear the melodious voice of lisa zambetti but a funny thing happened a couple weeks ago uh we had some show prep brought some ideas and i can only describe it this way that she forcibly grabbed me by the lapels pressed me against the wall pressed her arm into my neck and said, if you're so smart, you come up with the idea. I'm tired of carrying you. And so here we are. So yes, she's been very gracious, giving me the mic to talk about a handful of things with the very thinnest of links. And that link is Stanley Tucci. La Tucci, La Tucci. Before we dive in, it's time to make the introductions. Uh, The Thunder from Down Under, Dean Laffin. Say hello, Dean. Yes, thank you, uh, Brian, for this one. It should be um, quite interesting. And uh, once again, as per the last part, I'm sitting here basically shivering. It's gotten even colder here in Melbourne. So we're having this early winter and it's pissing me off. It's I keep looking at you guys going, ah, I'd rather be in California. And I'm sweating buckets. And of course, our fearless leader, Lisa Zamboni. Take it away, Lisa Zambetti. Oh, me? Is it my turn? It's your name. <gasps> I am Lisa Zambetti. I am the cast. I am a casting director in Los Angeles. And oh, let me just tell you that I have a movie opening up actually in real theaters called Unearth. It's a horror movie genre. And I don't normally do horror movie genres. But um, this, this script was really wonderful. And it's about two farm families in Pennsylvania who um, are trying to save their farms and all hell breaks loose. Anyway, so Unearth is opening maybe in a theater near you. I'm going to see the premiere uh, tomorrow. Um, and, you know, we'll see what happens. But it's always lovely when an indie film that you work on like two years ago finally gets distro and gets out there. And I guess it's won a couple of horror <laughs> genre awards. But yes, I am here at the beck and call of Bri Bri because he had some great ideas. And I just want him to go and, you know, lead us through it. I'm here as a passenger and I trust him with the car completely. So Bri Bri, 
I'm going to do my best to kind of explain everything that we're going to talk about. Okay. So I am not one who, I'm not affected by celebrity deaths, right? I mean, I'm just not that person, but I will say that with when Anthony Bourdain passed away, that hit me really hard, especially the fact that he took his own life because parts unknown. And I didn't li- I didn't watch his travel channel show, No Reservations, but parts unknown I fell into quite by action. I am not a fan of reality television and that's how I kind of perceived it. And once I actually fell into a marathon one Saturday evening, I was blown away by the storytelling, not just the written word, but the visual storytelling and the fact that he spearheaded so much of that. I mean, I just was was blown away by by the show. And honestly, CNN, I think in terms of their documentary series, I would say 90 to 95% of what they do is top notch. I don't like their news coverage. I don't like their pundits all that much, but their series are fantastic. And I remember they were trying to kind of pace themselves with filling those shoes once Anthony Bourdain was gone. Thus, the show uh, Searching for Italy with Stanley Tucci kind of came about. And the thing with Tucci, and, you know, I talked to to Lisa about, you know, because we do, in all seriousness, we do at, talk about like, okay, what are the shows you're watching? And that was a show that I was watching and really fell in love with. And the differences between those two guys is so pronounced. Like Burdain was such a blue collar guy. He came from blue collar roots, but was a world traveler, was this world famous chef and had this really remarkable point of view. And with Tucci, he's so elegant. He's so elegant in like his acting and in his just everyday life. It's just this kind of natural thing. And so watching that show, I really, I fell in love with it. I just love him. And so there was a little bit, I mean, would you say, Zambetti, that there was a little bit of hesitation about talking about the documentary series initially for you, just because it's not kind of in the wheelhouse of of what we talk about typically? No, not necessarily. I did want to try to figure out more. I wanted to dig in deeper on what you wanted to talk about. But let me say something about Anthony Bourdain. If you have not read Kitchen Confidential, his book, don't read it. Listen to it. Listen to it because he does an audio, an audible or audiobook of it, and you will hear him reading it. That's how you should read that book. He's a phenomenal storyteller. He's an ex addict. He's an ex everything. I mean, he has walked the walk. His story about his time at Leal, which is this very fancy French restaurant in New York. I worked in many restaurants in New York, and so I love that. But, you know, his travels, his life, I mean, his brain has said his shows on CNN, they were part culinary experience and part philosopher experience and part social. I mean, you just have to watch it to know what I mean, but it's not just a cooking show or a cooking travel show or Rachel Ray, $15 a day, wherever, you know. There's an episode, either the second to last season or the last season where he goes back to, I think, Massachusetts, where he worked as a cook, where he started doing heroin. Like he goes back mm, yeah, to that, yeah, yeah. or I think it's Providence or something. And that's the thing about him that was so remarkable, like how open he was to sharing about his own experience. You know what I mean? Dean, did you watch any of his, did you watch any of the of the shows? Yeah, yeah. I'd seen quite a few of his. Yes, he was very courageous and open, as you say, in the book. Doesn't really pull any punches and been referred to as the Hunter S. Thompson of, it's a gonzo kind of a kitchen version of the yeah. same way that Hunter used to write. And I found the book thrilling. And his initial series, I also found great. And just little moments that I remember, he went to one restaurant, I can't remember the name of it, but this guy was famous in New York and all he did was fillet fish. 
that's all he did. Yes, 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 yes. I remember that series. Yes, and it was such a. Cr- I mean, he was he was exalting and amplifying how hard people work in the restaurant business all day long. All you're doing is perfectly filleting fish. Yep. If uh, listeners have seen it, every morning these his helpers come in. They in completely line the room with plastic, like they're gonna like it's gonna be a mob hit or something because there's fish scales and, you know, blood and guts flying everywhere. And this guy just went through what he does, how he does it, and he just ends up producing these absolutely immaculate steaks of all these, you know, different seafoods that look like they've been cut by a computer. And that's what he did. And so he had the ability to tell, as you said, Brian, those stories that you would say, going to talk about this guy. I think he was like Costa Rican or something like that. And he sort of made his way to New York and he, or I think it was New York, he was an Eric Repairs restaurant who is, you know, an esteemed chef internationally, and he was working for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this guy was making a fortune and because he spat out, I was going to say, he produced these beautiful, incredible, consistent fillets. And if you pitch that as a story, you'd be like, what? What are we going to cover, some guy cutting fish? But Anthony's commentary as well as just these interview style, and he's so laconic. And just so relaxed yeah. and just, yeah. yeah, he's just amazing. What an amazing guy. And he was a lowbrow and highbrow, which was great. He could exalt somebody who was just a little corner, little nothing of a shack in wherever, you know, around the world, and then yet go to a very highbrow restaurant. And I- Yeah, well, he had noodles with Obama, didn't he, somewhere? Do you remember that episode? Yeah, I think he sat down for pho or something in Vietnam. Or yeah, whatever. in Vietnam. I love that he could cross those lines. But yeah. he would talk politics with people. I remember him on a rooftop somewhere very glamorous, I, somewhere in the Middle East, and talking to his host and saying, yeah, while we're sitting here drinking the finest vodka, there are people down there living and dying. And his host is like, yeah, that's how it is. That was amazing, the people that he pulled, like when he would visit a spot, some old friends and some who are just like tied into the politics of the country or that could kind of illuminate something about the place, either the country or the city that he was focusing on. And I thought that that was something that was really tremendous. Yeah, there was a lot of authenticity in it because, I mean, I would look at some episodes and go, yeah, you know, is, is this the real part of the city? And then he did an entire episode in Melbourne, which is my hometown. And at the end of it, I'm like, he totally nailed it. There wasn't a... There, there yeah. wasn't there wasn't one single thing that was inauthentic, that was over the top, that was done for promotion. Yeah. He really dug in and just got to the soul of Melbourne, which has a great coffee and food culture. And he just, yeah, he just, yeah, he was on it. Well, and so into this void now, enter Stanley Tucci and the limited series Searching for Italy, which is obviously in, it occupies the same space as Bourdain, the thing that I appreciate about what Tucci is doing, he's not trying to replicate Bourdain in any way. He has his own point of view, especially being Italian on both sides. Having lived in Florence as a kid, there's one episode that focuses on Florence where his parents come over and visit him. And they talk about that year. Like his dad came over because I think he was an art teacher in high school. And so he came over to study the art there. And his mom just did a deep dive in cooking. So that's what she did the entire year they were there and then brought all of these kind of amazing techniques and foods back to New Jersey where they live. And so he feels a real connection to the country. It's amazing that he speaks it. He speaks the language and will speak with the locals there. The thing that's different about Tucci and Bourdain that I just love is that when everybody is speaking Italian, he is oftentimes 
replying to them in English for our benefit. Or he'll look to the camera. He'll look to the audience to like bring us in. I don't, he's helping us he's, come into he's it. He's absolutely yeah. helping us. But he's doing it with such, such elegance. I wish that I could copy his style. You know oh, what I mean? Oh, you have your own oh, my, style. Of you course do. I do. You have your own style. Yeah, I wear cargo <laughs> shorts and t-shirts and vans. I just yes. like I did in the early 90s. You know what I mean? But he's so dapper and so like He is. He, that's his that's his brand. It's absolutely that's his, brand. his brand. But he's mm-hmm. but he but but it's but it's effortless as well. Mm-hmm. You know that he's he's not fussing over himself, you know, for an yeah. hour a day to get ready to go out. That's just he wakes up and he he puts on his Stanley Tucci, uh, Stanley Tucci costume, and he's instantly Stanley Tucci, Absolutely. and that's yeah. just the way he rolls. Well, down to the yeah. scarf and the the shoeless or the sockless, the <laughs> whole thing. Yeah, I saw that he he mentioned that he you know to us he speaks you know fantastic Italian, but he has said that he speaks like a twelve year old girl, and that just reminds me of my father, who's you know who's gone back to Italy like every year for the past twenty years, and to me when I'm with him. He speaks wonderful Italian, but my dad always says, I speak like a six-year-old, you know? <laughs> um, but there is something, Brian, when you I, – I, I'm going to speak for the entire Italian, you know, American population. But there is something very emotional to going back to Italy. And I felt it. I felt it, I don't know how many years ago. I don't, you were living with us when I took the boys was, I think it's three or Italy. four years ago. Something like that. Yeah. I took my twin boys to Italy by myself and met up with my dad who was on his travels there. And it was very emotional. You know, we went back to where my grandparents met and fell in love, their little lake town. And we went past my grandmother's house, which was literally like a donkey stall. It's very emotional. So I do understand this pull to go back and to relive everything, the cuisine, but really everything. And that's what I see Tucci doing. You know, not, not to mention his amazing yes. film, Big Night, which if you haven't seen it, what is wrong with you? So, Go out and so watch good. Big Night and so then good. let's, you know, let me know what you think about it and let's cook because that's what it makes you want to do. Is this what I ordered? Yes, that is the risotto. Oh. It's a special recipe that my brother and I bring from Italy. But I get a side of spaghetti with this, right? Why? She likes starch. I don't know. Come on. There are no meatballs with the spaghetti. They were two brothers who came to America bearing Italy's greatest gift. To eat good food is to be close to God. I'm never sure what that means, but it's true anyway. <laughs> they have a talent for cooking. No, wait. Cut the table. Now, all they need... If you give people time, they learn. This is a restaurant. Not a cooking school. Is a recipe for success. If we don't receive your payment by the end of the month, we will foreclose. What do you mean? Their only hope is a plan. Louis Prima. Louis Prima? He's Prima. I make a call. He's in town next week. You cook for him. Louis Prima is coming. He's not just some guy. He's famous. Their only obstacle. Men. Boys. Is each other. My brother sometimes is too... Um, uh, I have a younger brother. I hate his guts. Their only chance... How much does that leave? $62.47. Is a feast. Safe for Marsha. The Samuel Goldwyn Company and Reicher Entertainment invite you to the four-star party of the year. Oh! A sumptuously satisfying movie from first course to last. Oh, my God. It's good, huh? He likes. Can you believe it? You'll find the atmosphere is delicious. Oh. An appetite-rousing delight. It's a party, you know? It's a fun. 
The service, impeccably crafted, wonderfully acted. I'm happy. And every chorus, a labor of love, delectable, warm, funny, and poignant. Here is food tonight. We guarantee you a night you'll never forget. Bite your teeth into the ass of life. Big night. Your table is waiting. Let's eat. Uh, yeah, just on the topic of um, of language, I, I did see an interview with him, and he was talking about Big Night and other roles where he's played an Italian, um, but an Italian American, but accented. And he says, "I have the worst Italian accent in the world." Right? So he's talking about when he's got to put on an, uh, an Italian accent, and he said, "I just listen to it and cringe." He said, "It's terrible because when he speaks." Italian. He speaks Italian, but he's trying to speak Italian, English with an Italian accent, and he hates it. I don't think we fully appreciate in our country, I can't speak for Australia, but in the US, we do not have an ancient culture. We are still, in global terms, still such a young country. And so I've gone to Colombia twice. I mean, I have no kind of familial connection to Colombia in any way, shape, or form. But I look at the places that I visited. I look at when they were established, how old these places are. And Italy is older, like how ancient and how much history is infused in everything. He's driving through, I think it's Tuscany, and he's got his crew in this tiny car. And he turns to somebody in the car and he goes, just look around. There's not a single contemporary building anywhere. It's remarkable. You know what I mean? So I can imagine like just feeling that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the overwhelm of familia, you know, of like, of, of being in this ancient place where you hail from, and then diving in and like kind of being an ambassador for a television audience, right? Like this is where I come from. And thankfully, I, I, I just discovered, I think it's been renewed for two more seasons. Wow. Because there's, I mean. How many, he only did like six episodes? I think he did, think he did six because there's 20 regions. There's 20 regions in Italy and he, I think they're going to cover all of them. And they all have, you know, that's his thing. They all have like different food styles and all of that. And so he's going to touch on all of those. Oh, yeah. and like to see the the width and breadth of 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 the the cultural differences in these regions and how that informs the cuisine and the people. It's just like it's really remarkable. Well, he goes down the back streets. I mean, the couple of episodes that I saw, he goes down the back streets and and he was and he was sent and I mean, he visited this this uh, restaurant that had been firebombed. Because because people were saying, no, this is going to be, you know, gentrifying our neighborhood, you know. So it's very interesting. He does get right down into it with people. But then, you know, he goes into the little, you know, into the back kitchen with the, the, the yeah, nonna yeah, yeah. who's making the pasta. And like, you know, I'm not a huge fan of pasta, but I do appreciate the care that goes into making homemade pasta and what i mean it's backbreaking absolutely backbreaking work to do it and so you know i loved all of that but yeah he gets into it and going to like where the uh san marzano tomatoes are grown right there's like they're they grow under oh yeah they grow under an overpass like they're in this like this really tiny plot of land (laughs) but it's like you know, in the shadow of Mount Vesuvius, like all of that ash like has created this richness yeah. of soil, but it's in like, not in like idyllic, you know, 
scenic surroundings. No, no, right. no. Not it's at not all. like the Napa so you Valley really does get scenic, into yeah, like yeah, yeah. the meat and bones of the place. And I think the thing I love so much is like everybody talks. Everybody you talk to, every every Italian person you talk to, especially the chefs, they're all like, like alive. You know what I mean? Like when they talk, they're very expressive. It's like they're mm-hmm. shouting. You know what I mean? Like everything is joyous, mm-hmm. right? Everything. This is the best. Like everything is the best. <laughs> like this is the best pizza you'll ever have, or this is the best. To- we make the best yeah, tomato yeah. sauce here. Or I just and it's kind of like the the pride that I remember, like when I lived in Chicago. You know, but just but. Mm-hmm. Out, you know, in the country, the entire country, or these regions, yeah, like they yeah, feel yeah. it. But I, I feel like uh, my experience of my Italian relatives when I, I visit there in Bergamo, like you know, she made us like a cutlet, and you know, she made us lunch for the day, and you, I mean, it felt like amazing home cooking. You know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, so I feel like I want to make you guys my yeah. gnocchi now. I'm so excited. <laughs> I go, we should go to, we should go to Italy. Let's have a oh, you know, killer I casting would... in Italia. Uh, I know. Wouldn't you? Holy shit. I would, I, that's been on my, I, that's been my bucket list, but I, I, I have decided like when I go, I don't want to do like this kind of scatter shooting, like spend two days here, whatever. It's like, I want to go, I want to do yeah. Rome. Yeah, no, 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 no. Like spend meaningful time in Rome and then leave. And yeah. then the next trip, do Tuscany and spend meaningful yeah. time there. You know, like like really do the deep dive. That's huge. Because when I was a student, you know, and I went to, I was in England studying and then I went to Europe for a holiday. And like you said, I, I went, you know, two days here, two days there. And I took the train from Rome all the way up the boot on Christmas Day and so every town I passed, I could see how they celebrated Christmas, you know, but, and I went all the way up, you know, past Florence and, you know, all the way into France, into, um, Ken. So all the way, all, all the way up in, into there. And it's, you know, of course it was, it was amazing, but, um, yeah. So Latucci, I mean, I'm all about him, but. There's much more about him. And there's a reason why we feel so comfortable about him. This persona that he has has evolved into from his very early days. In Amazon Prime, there's a channel that you can get for free. It's IMD, it's IMDB channel where they offer movies and television shows. It's kind of like Pluto TV or Tubi where you can watch, but there are ads. And if you don't mind ads, then it's no problem. And... One of the series that you can watch is Wise Guy, uh, a Stephen J. Cannell series from mm-hmm. the 80s. Never watched, so tell us about it. It is one of the, the most underrated network shows. Jonathan Banks was in it. Ken Wall was the lead. Um, but like some of the guest star turns, and what they did was, and you know, Lisa and I have talked about Criminal Minds, right? Like for me, how I felt, Criminal Minds would have been a better show if instead of every episode being a crime that happens and then gets solved per episode, that they have a major crime and that season undertakes to like solve it, right? To 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 add a, a bit more realism. That's my complaint, I guess. And so what Wise Guy did, which is which is kind of ahead of its time, they would have story arcs that lasted a finite amount of episodes 
because he would it was the it was he was part of the OCB the organized crime bureau so the first season was about him bringing down this crime boss but then they dived into uh white supremacy right like the clan and and busting somebody who got murdered but then this one particular season arc or episode arc dealt with the garment district in New York Jerry Lewis played the patriarch Ron Silver played his son um, and then Stanley Tucci <laughs> oh my played the mob guy, the financier who went to college with Ron Silver's character and who was a bad guy, right? And I went back and I looked at his first scene. It, he has more hair, but he's dressed in like a tracksuit, right? He's with the tennis shoes and <laughs> he is still Stanley Tucci. Right. Right. But it, to watch him at that age, like seeing with his early powers, it was really, really phenomenal. You know what I mean? Like Kevin Spacey did a guest star yeah. turn on Wise Guy. I mean, it really was like a phenomenally written show. You know, mm, I think I think Stanley was in a, a couple of episodes of um, Miami Vice as well, back in the early mm-hmm. days. Yeah, which had a slew of really weird um, special guests, guys like Ted Nugent and just all Phil sorts Collins. of bizarre people. Yeah, <laughs> Phil Collins, Phil DeShrill. Yeah. But what I, I it's interesting about Stanley Tucci's career is that he's ascended from the that guy. Now we Brian and I know just just listenless of amazing actors who are that guys. You know, we could we could spew them out right now who have been in I icon- They've made a documentary. Oh of really? Guys. Yeah, yeah, about you're that guy in that thing is what it's called. Yeah, I mean, there are so many. I mean, we could just list them all off right now. But Stanley Tucci has somehow ascended that for, you know, for very good reason. But it's very interesting to look at his career. I was only first... And, and he's he's evolved very smartly from trying to be a leading man to being... Uh, a very uh, wise sidekick kind of a, a role, which is brilliant. But I, I first remember him, Brian, I don't know if you ever saw the movie The Day Trippers, which had Parker Posey, um, Liev Schreiber, a very young Liev Schreiber, and Mira. And it, it's just, and he comes on at the end. He's talked about throughout the entire movie. And then at the very end, you you meet him. And then that same year, he did Big Night. This is in 1996, I think, which was incredible turn. Just, just you know, like, as I've said, you should definitely watch that. But then to watch his career go on, you know, he's very good at, at he plays a feat very, very well. Even when he's playing a straight character, you know, he plays the fussy, prissy, elegant fop very, very well. And it, and it has served him very, very well, even when he's playing a straight guy. He also did a great psycho in um, The Lovely Bones. Wasn't he just chilling? Right. I oh haven't seen God. that. You know what? I've only, I watched some of the scenes just going over his it career. It is just a chilling, and, chilling ooh. performance. I didn't buy his hair. His hair. I'm big on hair. I mean, hair really distracts me. And I'm, I'm a little upset about his hair in that. But yes, the, the scenes was sheer. How was the wallpaper in the scenes that you did see? Was that okay? <laughs> Well, there were a lot of candles uh, you know in the scenes. I see a bad wig see. in a movie and I'm um, like, yeah. ouch, sorry, can't do it. Woo. Yep. And it's yep. surprising to me, Done. like, can't it's surprising it. to me yep, how that's something that just kind of goes under the radar. You know, like somebody didn't look at that and go, 
Wigmasters work really hard. I mean, they work really hard. But um, yeah, somebody had to look at that and go, why? Why do we need him to be in a blonde comb over? He does not look normal. When you look at him and the rest of the cast, yeah, it doesn't look, he doesn't look like somebody who's uh, safe, which is what you kind of need in that role. But anyway. Well, and I think, I think Tucci even said like one of the, you know, the, the Sunday morning interview that he gave, like he didn't, he didn't want to play that that stereotypical Italian mobster character because it's all like, you know, they're great mobster movies, but then there's all these copies of great mobster movies that he just didn't want to do. And so that was the impetus for doing Big Night. Real, you know, like, again, like creating content and putting it out there. You know, he had enough juice to like get that movie made with Campbell Scott. Oh my Christ, you know what I mean? And I mean, and again, like Lee Schreiber, you know, was in that. That's the thing I love about Tucci. Like, Leif Schreiber was in Big Night. Mm-hmm. Who's he playing Big Night? I can't remember. Uh, he's like uh, the young. I, I saw him, young guy. It's been a while since I've seen it, but he plays like a younger guy. Like you see him first at the at the popular restaurant. Well, I mean, he's got Isabella Rossellini to be in it, and Ian Holm. I mean, amazing. Not to mention Tony Shalhoub and Allison Janney. Do you see the the Imposters? The Imposters was the second one. Him and Oliver. Yes, Pratt. yes, I saw the Imposters. Which is half Bingo. of a brilliant I agree. movie. I agree. <laughs> I think half um, of it is. You don't want to miss the new HBO original limited series, Mayor of Easttown. The show follows a respected, small-town Pennsylvania detective investigating a local murder while attempting to balance her own personal life, which is rapidly crumbling around her. Exploring the dark side of a tight-knit community, the gripping seven-part drama examines how family and past tragedies can define our present. Starring Kate Winslet, Julianne Nicholson, and Jean Smart, stream Mayor of Easttown, now on HBO Max. I wonder how long his uh, love of food goes back because, of course, he also uh, played Julia Child's husband, Paul, in, in Ju- yeah, the, <laughs> right. which is the what, Nora Ephron, I think, back in the day, Ju- Julia yes. and Julia. So I don't, I don't know whether that Julia, inspired yes. him to food or he was already, well, I, I, he was already inspired because he did, he did Big Night first. I think it's a, it's a family thing. Like, uh, I, I don't they know. They had a restaurant, but right? I know that, I like, they, they cooked, a restaurant in New York. They cooked a bunch. And he, and he, as an adult, he cooks a bunch as well. Like in the conversation around like talking about, you know, searching for Italy, the thing that popped into my brain also was this kind of hot button issue that that people have been talking about with the casting of of the movie Supernova that he that he championed. You know, I mean, like he he helped get this this movie made um, and the backlash has been um, the fact that that he and Colin Colin Firth are not gay men. And they're both playing gay men. And I, you know, again, like he has gone on the record, you know, I'm referencing this uh, Sunday morning, you know, CBS Sunday morning interview that was done where he says, I I find that troubling that, you know, we have to kind of like pigeonhole ourselves to to play ourselves somehow. Right. I mean, like the, the thing is, like acting is a transformative art. You know, that's part of the draw of of being an actor is being other people. And his feeling is, is like, if we should do anything, we should open up more opportunities for 
gay actors, right? Because for many years, gay actors were forced to to be in the closet, to to play straight because they couldn't come out as as gay. But I think, you know, actors like Jim Parsons, Matt Bomer, they are I mean, and Neil Patrick Harris, for God's sake, with How I Met Your Mother. You know, I mean, he's married with kids, married to a man and played Barney. Now, I thankfully, I've never seen two seconds of How I Met Your Mother. But I do know that he played like a cad, like a, a you know, a womanizer. And that's not his experience. But but it's part of his craft and skill to like play pretend. Right. So that's my feeling. But go ahead. So I've I've watched several interviews with Tucci about this subject, and it's not I don't remember quite the way that you're saying it, Brian. He is he was concerned about it, and it's not that something that he's just like, oh well, any actor should be able to play anything. You know, he has he has played actors in the past who you could say identify as gay, and so he felt some kind of comfort into it, but but more so that the he felt and the Harry McQueen, the director and writer felt that this wasn't necessarily a piece that was about two men who are gay. That's not the crisis of the piece. Um, now <laughs> I take a little bit of issue with that. Having watched it saying, yeah, I'm sure that they don't think that that's the crux of it. I would love to talk to two men who have been in a 20 to 30 year old relationship who are gay whose one partner is dying and see if they have any feelings about the kind of discrimination you might have when trying to get medical help for your partner. I understand what they're saying. And I understand that that Harry McQueen did lots and lots of research on this. I mean, he volunteered at a memory care facility where he was watching different families go through this. And that's, he wanted to do a piece that was about quote unquote, Alzheimer's or uh, one partner who's degenerating um, cognitively. And he decided that this story hadn't been told. So um, let's do it with, with you know, a, a homosexual couple, same-sex couple. Having watched the film, I have other issues with it that have nothing to do with that. <laughs> so... It's good to get back on the road again, don't you think? But how about just exploring the outer regions of fifth gear? <laughs> One wish in the world, what would it be? I wish this holiday wouldn't end. So, can you tell that it's gotten worse? I'd like to make a speech. I, uh, well, maybe, maybe Sam will do it for me. Yeah, I'd, I'd love, love to. to do it for me. Now, as most of you will know, I'm slowly losing my ability to remember. And I definitely wouldn't be here if it weren't for this man next to me. I want to be remembered for who I was, but not for who I'm about to become. It's not fair to you. It's not about fair, it's about love. No, Sam. I want to see this through with you to the end. 
I paid attention to the intimacy. I'm talking about like how they engage. And I couldn't tell if it was just horribly self-conscious or just horribly British, which may or may not be the same thing. When I worked as an agent assistant, pardon this tangent, we sent actors to uh, an audition for an industrial for Weber Grills or whatever. And it was people playing a family and they were all get paired together and then go into the room and kind of do an improv thing or whatever. And we talked to the casting person and the people who got cast, they came in and they behaved like a family. They touched each other. They, you know, they, it felt like they were a family because they touched each other. Familial ties there that were being communicated. I didn't get that sense. I mean, their performances, I think, are great. I had an emotional reaction to the film, but I think it was because of the scenario itself. Like, I can't imagine being in that situation but at the end, I just felt like it was a cop-out. It's interesting that you say that, Brian, because I'm sure you both know that Colin and, and Stanley have been best friends for 20 years. So that dynamic could go either way, couldn't it? It could, it could generate comfort. But if they're both um, straight and playing gay, then it might be a little more awkward. They both live in London, so they, you know, they see each other all the time. So personally on this thing, I do have a little bit of an issue with the double standard of it. Well, hang on, what? But straight guys can't play gay guys, but Rock Hudson had a whole career. Um, Anne Heche did a romantic comedy with um, Harrison Ford? In, in Indiana Jones, Harrison, yeah, Harrison Ford, Ford, yeah. Um, can Kristen Stewart not play a straight role? Like, where does it end? What about if you're not naturally blonde? What about oh, no, if no, you're... No, no, no. Well, no, that's different. That's different. But, but I'm saying it's a spectrum and where does that spectrum lie? You know, where does where does uh, Tom Cruise playing in Born on the Fourth of July? He's not really paraplegic, et cetera, et cetera. So those things I kind of struggle with. I would say that every time has its season and every pendulum swings back. And right now the pendulum is swinging back to give actors who have not had the opportunity to play their lived experience the opportunity. Now, nobody can deny that Tom Hanks taking a role in Philadelphia to play a gay man dying of AIDS when taking that role could destroy a career, right? Him taking that role was a huge step forward for the voice of that issue. And did wonderful things. Hilary Swank doing Boys Don't Cry, taking on that horrific murder of Brandon Tina. My favorite is, you know, Sean Penn playing Harvey Milk, who I adored. So those things are huge steps forward. But you can also, nobody is wrong, Dean, is what I'm saying. Billy Porter saying, you know, a straight person plays a gay person and they hand them an Oscar. Why don't you just cast a gay person as that? And, you know, what's the, I understand everybody's argument. And I've seen every tweet criticizing Supernova. And I understand where it's coming from. So it's not really like changing your hair color. 
And there are, and believe me, now, if you were going to cast the role of Ron Kovic that Tom Cruise played, you better fucking believe that a bunch of people who are wheelchair users would want access to that role. But there's a season for everything. But right now, actors who identify as gay and who are, you know, have sexual orientations, they want to play those roles. And we want to have as many roles as we can that so that everybody feels that they're heard and they can play those. But I, I take your point. You know, that said, Stanley Tucci and Colin Firth have been friends for 20 years. I found their relationship completely credible. I just found the film horribly edited. <laughs> that's I think that's my that's my biggest problem with it. It was just like you could watch it like at three times the speed and uh, get it. And it was only an hour into the film that I, there was really a scene where I was like, holy mother of God, this is an amazing scene. The tape recorder scene where... Colin Firth's character starts to play a, a tape recording. And that's when it, it lit up for me and the rest of the movie really Maybe worked. Maybe this is my class warfare coming out. But as I'm watching this thing, another thought that came to me is like how fucking bougie it is. Colin Firth is a concert pianist who's made albums. Stanley Tucci is a writer of some renown. The family lives on, or, you know, Colin Firth's sister lives in this big house on an estate. They rent an Airbnb that's like 10,000 rooms or whatever, where he's going to do his thing. And it's just like the writer, director wants to tell the story that he wants to tell. I feel less inclined towards the story on some level because it's like, what do they have to fight against? Apart from the emotional content, they come from means. They have the means to like, but it's like, okay, at least I'm projecting that. Well, personally, I did not want to watch this movie because my father-in-law just died of this exact thing. Yeah. And talk about bougie. I mean, they had every means in the world. You know, they were able to give him 24-hour care while he was at home and then put him in a great place when he was not able to be at home. Bougie or not, it sucks. And the one thing that Stanley Tucci, the, the, his character, says to his partner is that I don't want you to have to deal with me looking at you and not recognizing you. We would have taken that in our situation yeah. because in our situation, mm. our loved one recognized you and tried to punch you in the face and tried to push you into the stove yeah. and got very, very violent and very, very difficult to deal with through no fault of his own. So for me, watching that was like, yeah, rock bottom is worse, brother. You know? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. There was no real progression that I saw in terms of the ailment, you know, it felt very incomplete to me. It felt very like a half measure. Well, they were trying to catch it early, I guess. Yeah. You know, but I would say like movies like Brokeback Mountain, Dallas Buyers Club, Behind the Candelabra, Transamerica, you can criticize it for not having a totally authentic oh. cast. But but then again, how are you supposed to, know. you know, vet you that? You can't. I mean, honestly, how are you supposed to fucking vet that? You you know, you're not going to... I mean, certainly there are some outward-facing actors who, you know, are loud and proud and tell you, you know, what their sexual orientation is. But not everybody does. And uh, you can't ask that. But, but here's the thing. Okay, talking to the disabled, uh, the question of, of being disabled. There was a show that I did back in Denver in the mid-90s where I played a character with cerebral palsy. And, yes, and here's the thing. Now, at <laughs> right? the end of the play, okay, so full disclosure, this is a play that Lisa Zambetti wrote. This is how I first met Lisa Zambetti. It's called Number 45, which is a great play. 
it's a really good screenplay too. So the the character at the end, it deals in poetry and it's it's a visual scene where he is healed. There's a moment in the play where he becomes if he if he didn't have cerebral palsy, right? And it transfers, the cerebral palsy transfers to the female lead, right, in a moment. And he picks her up and takes her back to this bus stop bench. And then lights go out and they're back to normal. And same with like Ron Kovic in Born on the Fourth of July. Every project, yeah, every project is different, obviously. Now, the person that your character was based on, Curtis, Curtis could never, who had cerebral palsy from the moment he was born to the moment he died, he could never have played that role because it took him five minutes to say one sentence. He could not perform. Now, he was in plays. Curtis was an actor and he was in plays, but you couldn't do that role. And he understood that. And I based the character on him. And I also vetted it through the Cerebral Palsy Association. And I had certain people look at it to make sure I wasn't offending people because I wanted to express his life and what it would have been like if he didn't have cerebral palsy. So I think every project is different. In the final analysis, I think that's what it ultimately going to have to come down to. And continuing to have the conversation right? Around what is equitable. Dean, I hear you so loud and proud about what you're, what you're saying and how to, you know, where does it end? Where does it start? But I'm just really glad that these conversations are being had. They're not easy conversations, but they're important that we talk about people who have, you know, have the lived experience, people who, and yes, actors often are playing people who they have zero lived experience with. I mean, that's what acting is. We otherwise, as, as Stanley Chuchu would say, we'd only be We'd only be playing ourselves, right? right? But one thing that Colin Firth said that I really loved is that no matter what character he's taking on, whether it's, you know, George, King George or, you know, Mr. Darcy, he always has a feeling of discomfort. It's presumptuous to attempt to play this role, no matter who it is. And I think that that's kind of a great way to look at it, that when you take on a role, you don't just assume that you can do it. You know, that you do have to give it a lot, a lot of fun. So, hey, uh, I'm really so appreciative to to Lisa, to Dean for indulging me. I'd like to thank the Academy for <laughs> uh, giving me this platform to spew however I feel like spewing. Uh, so, hey, do us a favor. Why don't you, uh, after you're done listening to this, why don't you get on your mobile your smartphone, why don't you tell all your friends about what we're doing here at Killer Casting? Why don't you have them download it? Why don't you have them and yourself rate us five stars because we're bringing quality content on a bi-weekly to monthly basis, okay? If you if you keep rating us five stars- Rate us uh, six stars, you, what the fuck? Yeah, rate us six yeah, stars. Exactly, we'll bring you more, we'll bring more content uh, more consistently, uh, but if you just if you're stingy, then we're just gonna we're gonna withhold. And tell us what you tell us what you want us to cover too. Hey, we have oh Dean, tell people what's coming back, um, Mister In Between uh, Season Three. Yeah, Mara. Oh, yeah, I I thought you meant the <laughs> oh that's right the YouTube three. series of Miami Vice. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, <laughs> final season <laughs> with the original cast. By the way, yes, season three uh, and apparently the final season is airing on May 25. So it remains to be seen how they'll conclude that. Will they oh, will they kill off oh, Ray? Uh, what what will they do? It's just going to be very exciting to watch. So, yep, 
Can't wait for that we one. We will be back to cover that, like white on rice or snow on an Eskimo, like stinking on whatever. Um, fantastic. Well, Brian, thank you for doing this. I feel so relaxed. Good work. And- I know. You didn't have to do a GD thing. That's all right. So I guess with that, uh, this is B.A. Hill signing off for Killer Casting, (laughs) the podcast. Good night. Killer Casting is a concept created and produced by Lisa Zambetti. Audio engineering by Dean Laffin. Logo art by April Laffin. Website and Big Fat Opinions courtesy of me, Brian Allen Hill.